Welcome to the Vegas Gang podcast for September 9th, 2009. Uh, happy to be doing a show today. I, on, I honestly can't believe it's uh, September already. I guess um, our uh, vacation schedule of uh, whenever we feel like it, uh, you know, I don't know if we can get away with that now that it's not summer anymore. But because, um, <laughs> you know, this is quite a formal endeavor here. Um, let me go around the table and introduce the guys. Dr. Dave is on vacation today. Um, but we have uh, Mr. Jeff Simpson from the Las Vegas Sun and In Business Las Vegas. So welcome, Jeff. Thanks, guys. Greetings. And Mr. Chuck S. Monster from VegasShipping.com. What's happening, Chuck? Not much. I am glad to be here. And sorry, Dr. Dave's not going to be here, but we're going to fire it up anyway. Yeah. yeah, we're really not much of a gang today. We're more like a three-on-three basketball team. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm Hunter. I'm at RateVegas.com. Um, let's get into it. First off, a little announcement. Um, as we've talked about um, over the past months, uh, Vegas Podcast Palooza is October 17th in the Lounge at the Palms featuring Five Hundy by Midnight, The Strip, who will have special guest Ms. Holly Madison, and this show. Yes, indeed. Uh, this show, The Vegas Gang, and our guest will be MG Mirage uh, Public Relations Senior VP, Mr. Alan Feldman. So that um, should be a good uh, – give us a good chance to grill him on City Center, which will be just uh, you know a few short weeks basically at that point from opening. Uh, and then we'll also, we're also going to be doing a, a quick podcasting roundtable um, with uh, Scott Whitney, who is uh, owns a company called Podworks, which helps people helps businesses create podcasts, and also is the co-host of the popular Living in Las Vegas podcast. So the whole show is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it, and we hope you can come. If you want to learn more or basically learn what I just said, you can visit VegasPodcastPalooza.com. One of the great things about Alan Feldman Hunter is he was with uh, Win Resort, or I'm sorry, Mirage Resorts when they opened um, the Mirage, and then when they opened Bellagio. So, you know, he certainly has a lot of experience opening uh, historic uh, properties. So, uh, and I think it's pretty uh, undeniable that they're opening up one one come December. So, I think Alan will be a fantastic guest for our uh, podcast, Palooza. Yeah, I hope so, so. I'm looking forward to it. So Alan was part of the, the Mirage Resorts acquisition? He was. You know, I talked to Terry Lanny right after they uh, bought Mirage, and uh, Lanny said that, you know, they, they really considered – MGM Grand did. They considered Alan the best in the business, and I think uh, – you know, certainly I don't I, – I think you have to rate him as the best uh, corporate spokesperson. I mean, he's someone – and it's really sort of rare. Most A lot of these guys who are the uh, top spokespersons for the uh, casino companies, they're really not able to, you know, sort of speak on their own um, without getting, you know, prior approval and clearances. But Alan has always been given a lot of leeway. Um, and that's saying something for, for Steve Wynn to do that. Wynn is, you know, pretty notorious as a guy who wants to control the, uh, the message coming out of his company. And then, you know, he, and he did so well there that MGM, I think, knew what they had and have, you know, it's really paid off for them because he is uh, a brilliant, um, he's brilliant at what he does. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and I appreciate him, you know, uh, to, to some degree, sort of taking a chance on uh, on sitting with us um, and always being very uh, very accommodating in terms of requests from um, smaller new media type outlets. He's been really good about that and very open minded, um, and I definitely appreciate that. And I'm looking forward to it. It should be a lot of fun. With that, we will see you on October 17th, but let's get into some some stories. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of stuff written down here, and I don't really have any specific order. But one thing I wanted to talk about for sure was uh, potential changes at Encore. Encore Las Vegas opened in December of last year, is the sister resort um, connected to uh, Wynn Las Vegas. Um, you know, <clears throat> they report Wynn and Encore is one unit, and we're also in the middle of a pretty large um, economic contraction, so it's hard to have numbers to compare things to, but I think it would 
it would be hard, I think, to argue that Encore has performed up to the level of expectation. I, speaking from my own personal experience, it's often very quiet in Encore when I walk through or when I stay there. Um, the casino is is not as busy as I would expect, uh, and while the nightclub is very successful, and some of the restaurants are doing uh, are doing well, um, I you know I I think it hasn't quite found its place yet. It may be a matter of time, but um, given that there are some potential changes on on store for Encore, um, when Resorts has applied for permits to make a change, what's something that they're calling the uh, it seems they may at least the project name is the Switch Beach Club, and the general idea is to take the Las Vegas Boulevard, put a crochet, which is not very widely used. The hotel has two others on uh, their private driveway on the other side of the resort, so this is a not widely used entrance, um, and add something, add a beach club, basically a two-story structure that would include a pool, um, some. Uh, Dining and uh, cabanas and that that sort of thing. Um, you know, there are a lot of questions about exactly how this will shake out. Uh, the renderings they provided to the county were not very detailed, at least the ones that were made public. Um, that air, that that end of Encore on the inside has got a lovely atrium and the high limit area. And so, as we posted this story on the blog, the most recurring theme I saw in terms of commenters was. Uh, why are they doing this? Uh, is this the right move for a, a wind resorts property? I mean, I think if I could sum up the reaction, people are hoping that they're basically not going to add a rehab to uh, the front door of Encore. Um, what do you guys think? Uh, you know, how is this going to play out? Are they? Is there a potential to hurt the uh, upscale brand by adding this kind of an attraction? Chuck, I. I think this is a great idea. That side of Encore facing the Strip needs some life at the top end of the property. There's nothing going on there. It's you don't even know that there's entrances. Uh, you drive that. The reason why nobody, you know, you wouldn't even know that there is a portico share there unless you've walked up and around. It seems like it's so uh, it's so perfectly hidden, you know, with with the trees and whatnot. It looks just like a, you know, it could be a forest web. I think putting something there is akin to putting a pirate show there. Maybe it's not a pirate show, but it's going to be something. There's going to be life. There's going to be noise. There's going to be people. There's going to be a critical mass in an area at the top end of Encore where people are going to come in and come out and gather around and gravitate to. I think it is a fantastic idea, and it, it's going to bring people through the casino. It's going to pe bring people outside of the casino and around and from, from wind all the way through. I, I couldn't be any bit more excited. That being said, I looked at the renderings, and it, you know, it looks like a museum. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I did not really like the way it kind of looked, but you know, I'm guessing that they've, they're holding a lot of cards to their chest, as you sort of alluded to. You know, when it's not known for, for pulling their pants down in public and showing everybody what they got planned. So. Uh, you know, it's 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 a typical win sort of thing. I don't think it's going to be rehab. That's not really going to be their brand. I think they're going to continue uh, using excess for the the indoor kind of party thing. But it's going to I think it's going to be a nice upscale outdoor sort of loungy uh, thing. And 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 the, the the light from the atrium there, it's going to spill even more. And I think they're going to get more natural light in there as opposed to the uh, refracted light. Uh, it's it's going to open up that whole side of the casino. I think it's, I, I'm really excited about this. Well, I hope you're right. I mean, I, I'm generally inclined to trust them, and I I had a conversation, an email conversation with Derider Butler, the exec VP of architecture there, um, and you know, basically what I got from his message was, you know, trust us, we we know what we're doing, <laughs> uh, and I you know that's probably that's that's probably true. I mean, uh, you know, these guys definitely deserve to be given the benefit of the doubt. I was just really struck by the comments on my post and how yep. and people's very negative reaction to this idea. You know, I, I and and I'm not I don't really understand the reaction. I think that uh a couple things um were you know are are worth thinking about. First, Encore, you know, it was really a marketing decision I think by Win and a, and, a, and a smart one to maximize the attention the property got and his ability to get rates. Um to create Encore as a separate hotel, 
um, and that's the way it was spun. But it was original, originally envisioned as a tower, um, somewhat like the spa tower at Bellagio, um, that would bring the wind plant to similar, you know, giant mega resort, 44,000 rooms plus that um, Bellagio has. Um, and, you know, they eventually decide, you know what, let's make them separate. It allows them to pay, you know, you get a lot more oomph when you open a new hotel. And they did the best they could at a very, very difficult time um, for the economy. Um, so, and, and, and so that's one thing is that the, the, a lot of people criticize Encore. They feel like, you know, there's really just not that much there. Um, whether it's you know whether it's the size of the casino, whether it's the number of restaurants and the number of you know the number of attractions. I mean you know the pro the two properties share um, a show. Unfortunately, only one since uh, the untimely death of Danny Gans. Um, so it does seem that with the opening of Encore, there really wasn't as much added to the overall physical plant of Win and Encore together as some people might have anticipated. Um, so that's one thing. Um, second, I would say that it's not a surprise that Wynn is willing to, you know, th you know, get rid of something and change it right away. He's done that in the past. He did it very quickly at Wynn with the original Labette nightclub that became Trist um, from a colossal flop to a spectacular success. Um, changed quickly. The, I believe it was the Bartolota restaurant. It's just outside the uh, the showroom, and you know they will they will you know admit their mistakes and move on quickly. Um, and I think that you know what's going on here now. I think that uh, you know some folks are disappointed if this is going to greatly affect the atrium because it is one of the more beautiful places in Encore, and so I think people you know are hoping that that won't be as affected as it looks like it will be. Um, so that's that's a, a second thing, and then third, I think this is a reaction to when you look. And, and I've had visitors come to town and been inside Encore on a couple summer weekends and spring weekends this year. And the excess pool, the, the Encore pool, is absolutely packed. I mean, I wouldn't say that it's quite to the hard rock pool capacity type issue, but you look at the pool, and obviously you can see the pool from that entire side of the hotel or the casino, and it is just, you know, filled with people and I think that you know for the extra 2,000 rooms that Encore added they probably could use a little more pool capacity and maybe give people something a little more sedate than the pool atmosphere you get next to um, next to excess um, you know the wind pool um, certainly offers you know a slightly more you know, you can get your, you know, there are some more tranquil spots there. Um, but so I, I would say that it's some combination of those things. And I think that DeRyder Butler is probably right. Um, their record has been pretty good. And so my inclination would be to to agree with Chuck that it's a smart change. And, it, you know, it probably makes sense to trust what they've done. They've had a pretty good record. Yeah, I think that's probably where I come down as well. Uh, I wasn't able to get a budget out of um, when – PR, they said it's still in flux, but they do intend this to be open Q2 of next year, so uh, we will be able to see for ourselves in time for the end of uh, spring next year. So you said you said uh, you said February next year. At end of spring. Oh, end of spring. Oh, that's, quarter, that's second quarter. Oh, that's good timing. Yeah, so it should be time for uh, to be open all summer, and um, you know. It, uh, they're going to redirect some of the, the person flow out on the boulevard as well and put an overhead uh, walkway above the parking lot entrance there, which is probably much to the satisfaction of anybody that parks in there often. It's always, you're always dodging people that are walking by. So that's another nice little addition. We'll see so what happens. Forgive me if, if, I, if I missed something about the details here, but has this been approved by the county? It's okay? They've okayed this? Not yet. They we went through the first the first stage, and then it's going to have another. Actually, I think the meeting is today um, for the for the final approval. And I don't uh, think we're. And I, I'm sure in business we're not covering that commission meeting. But you know these kind of things are 
typically pretty pro forma unless there's a neighboring resort owner who, you know, is questioning some kind of setback problem. And, it, yeah. you know, in that neighborhood, there's really not much around there um, for people to get mad. So, you know, I, it would surprise me if county commissioners would say, you know, would would have anything to do other than rubber stamp and okay. It passed zoning with uh, with basically. I watched the video of the of the meeting and it passed with basically no opposition. I mean, I, you could tell that they were there ready to present and they didn't even ask them to, to show off what they were doing. It's like, yep, sounds good, thanks. Next, <laughs> which was by by the way a bizarre thing to watch that meeting. It was like all these people that were violating with their massage parlors, getting their permits revoked, and it was. Yeah, I watched that county commission meeting, and it was it's. You know, that's um, what they end up doing. They, what they were trying to do, I think, is uh, restrict a massage parlor to, uh, A, to staying open only during normal business hours, not at night, and then, B, maybe even make them close because they were too close to other massage parlors <laughs> because yeah. they had had some violation. And, you know, it turns into like a one-and-a-half-hour, uh, you know, embarrassment on tv but you know that's the kind of things that's the kind of thing they have to deal with it was bizarrely fascinating to watch (laughs) all right uh encore beach club next year we'll definitely uh be covering it as it comes i'm sure we'll uh photograph its progress as it gets underway in terms of construction um next up i want to talk about um a time magazine story that was actually a cover story um basically uh well sort of skewering las vegas to some degree uh you know not not like it's uh not like it's a big surprise i mean it's sort of an easy target right now given everything that's happening um but is that sort of is that really that interesting of a story at that point i mean is it a, you know i think everybody knows that 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 we're that las vegas is hurting but everybody's hurting i'm just curious uh mostly question for jeff any reaction to this article amongst your colleagues and people that you talk about in town you know i mean this is this is just sort of a another packaging of a story that we've all been doing for a year and a half um and uh, you know i mean the the some of the turbulence it was you know mainly focused on the real estate business i think and some of the dislocation and what you see with foreclosures and people moving out of houses or squatting in houses that have been foreclosed on and stuff i mean it was you know it wasn't a story that portrayed las vegas well but i don't think that it's any huge you know calamity to our the way we're perceived around the country those magazine news magazines just don't have the same impact that they did a decade or two decades or three decades ago there's just so much stuff out there that you know it's just one more you know bit of data floating around out there and you know i don't think anyone's too upset now in the real estate community there has been a big reaction um because you have a real estate agent who you know is taking a time reporter and having them crawl through a window into a house that's not unlocked and uh you know, I mean, it was just, you know, that real estate agent is probably going to face some kind of disciplinary action. She's already been, uh, you know, disassociated from her her uh, her real estate company, and I don't know if she was fired or told to leave. But um, so, you know, people in the real estate business are sort of embarrassed about that, um, the fact that she was she admitted to telling her clients that they ought to uh, buy a much cheaper home and then walk away from their current mortgage, uh, you know, for their existing home, that kind of stuff. It would probably be considered unethical for a real estate agent to do that, even though you have plenty of other people um, advocating the same thing. So that's been the reaction here. I don't think it really had as much of a big reaction as, you know, it would have a decade or two ago. No, I think you're probably right. All right. Well, I'm not going to give Joel Stein any more of my time then. Um, (laughs) Moving on. But he uh, loves Las Vegas. It's obvious. He comes here all the time. I mean, he wrote a story after Wynn opened. It's like, you know, you can tell who really likes Las Vegas when they when they find a way to get here and write a big story <laughs> every few years. So exactly. good for Joel Stein. 
you can spend more of uh, time's money. Yeah, he gets a way to use the expense account. I mean, it, he's not the only one. I have lots of people who come to visit me and a lot of people who do business in Las Vegas. You get a lot of business calls here from folks who, oh, it's nice that I had to, ha you know, it's, you know, I had to come here and stay at Bellagio and call on you for to do business. And I'm not saying Joel Stein did that, but he wouldn't <laughs> be the first. Um, Chuck, when we were putting together the uh, topics for today, one of the things you mentioned was Fontainebleau sale rumors. Um, and so let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, you know, obviously the project is um, shuttered at the moment. Uh, the um, original builder is um, winging their way through, uh, you know, the bottom levels of hell, trying to figure out what they're going to do. People are scrambling, trying to get some uh, money out of these people, which doesn't look very likely. Um, and there's been some, there have been some stories about, you know, what's going to happen with this thing. I mean, it, it's, I think uh, they claim it's seventy percent complete, um, but there's also the other side of that. I think is they, there was a tidbit in one of those stories saying that some people, such as Wynn, have looked at it and walked away, <laughs> um, not interested. Uh, I know you toured the. Um, the model room as did I. So what was your impression and, you know, any, any thoughts on um, how a possible sale might go? Well, I, I couldn't really tell you about how, how a sale is going to go, but I, I was, I was piqued by, by Liz's story in the sun who mentioned, uh, and I think uh, Bill Lerner at union had also mentioned this in his email uh, that uh, Apollo, Texas Pacific and Penn national both in addition to win, had been looking at this property in, and maybe even had made uh, uh, offers. I'm sure Jeff would have a little bit more information about that. But uh, the, the thing that I found interesting, not only that pe these people would buy this half-completed dream of someone else, you know, in in, in the state that it, it kind of is in, um, uh, was the thing that, that interested me was 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 that Wynn had toured the resort and looked at the rooms and walked away. And I've looked at a lot of the, uh, the the renderings and whatnot. And Hunter, you actually called called me out in the comments to a post I made about this. Because uh, I was I've been pretty bullish about the uh, you know the renderings and the interiors and the way things kind of look. You know, it looks really fantasy and a little spacey and and uh, luxurious in a in a calm kind of beachy sort of way. Uh, but when I went into the sales pavilion to check out the rooms. Uh, my wife and I, we both toured that. We left those rooms pretty quickly. We looked around, and I, I don't know if, if, if uh, the wind folks went to the sales pavilion or if they went into the actual resort to look at the rooms. But, you know, we went in there and looked at it, and they're really small. Maybe that model room is, re is a little smaller, but it just seemed really, really small with a desk sticking out with the iMac on it and whatnot. And... Uh, you know, it just it just made me think, like, how can – who will buy this, you know, based on these decisions that somebody else has made? Because you're basically buying something that's pretty much been structurally set in stone, yet it's still half of the canvas that you can still paint on. So you're buying a half-used uh, car. It's like a partially used car with new – I don't even know. I can't even make a metaphor of of this thing. Who's who's going to buy this thing and why? I mean, I don't know. My my guess would be it would be somebody that is not um, not a design focused company. Like I really couldn't even imagine Wind Resorts buying something like that because they can't. So many of the decisions are past the point where they could be changed. Uh, but you know, there are a lot of uh, companies that um, figure, and I, I'm not. I don't want to make this sound negative, but basically figure good enough in terms of design. Basically, they can come up with a product that they think is good enough, and they can make money doing it, and they're fine with that. Now, the question is who. I mean, the thing, I hope it looks a lot nicer on the inside, because the outside I still think is incredibly ugly. Um, <clears throat> and obviously, the location isn't stellar at the moment, but that'll change in the, you know, maybe now, very distant future. Um it's you know it's I any of the companies you mentioned I the Apollo and Texas Pacific thing is just a little bit of a head scratcher since they already seem like they've bitten off so much with Harrah's that they don't really need any other uh, headaches but 
You know, I, I, I maybe the numbers pencil out. Maybe they figure they can, you know, pick it up at fire sale price and, and make it work. It's sort of dollar cost averaging. I mean, they paid obviously in today's terms through the nose for their Harris assets, but um, you know, they have a they have their blue chip property in Las Vegas, um, Caesar's Palace, which um, you know it does have a new tower that's you know uh, mothballed late in the game um, that they are ready to break out. But still, that will just be another cobbled together piece of a very cobbled together property. And by buying Fontainebleau, it would enable them to sort of leapfrog the development cycle and have a brand new resort. Um, you know, the room, the 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 rooms um, matter a lot to win, I think. Um, so if wins, if it's true that when, uh, you know, toured a room and on that basis said, you know, we're not interested in the property, you know, you got to respect his opinion. Um, he has certainly been part of the evolution towards the six, 700 square foot hotel room. But, um, you know, the, the lion's share of rooms that are sold in Las Vegas um, are still the same, you know, the size that you get at the Mirage and MGM Grand, um, you're, you're just talking, you know, you're talking 400, 500 square feet or less. Um, you can still have an enjoyable stay in Las Vegas, Paris, um, same size. Um, and so if the rooms aren't that big at Fontainebleau, if they're not as well designed, um, you know, if you can pick up a uh, a brand new, you know, huge property. They have all these condominiums that can be sold as hotels, hotel rooms. If you can pick up a property like that for a billion dollars and whatever it would take to finish it, um, you know, you got to think that it's a pretty, I mean, that is a fire sale price. And, you know, to me, Apollo does seem like a likely buyer. I think that for, uh, for Penn National, um, you know, it's it's it, you know, for for all these companies, is it, is it a gamble? Sure, but you know, that's you you know, you're not going to get a three billion dollar property for a billion dollars unless you're willing to take somewhat of a gamble. And you know, does it make sense for them? I would say probably it does for both of them if they can, uh, you know, get get the creditors on board. I have a great idea. I would just figured thought of this. People, the guys that own the Fontainebleau and even Boyd Gaming with the Echelon Project and Harris with Caesars that tower, they can have they can have a promotion where if you bring your own sleeping bag, you can sleep in one of these unfinished buildings for like pennies on the dollar. You can get a great rate if you're willing to sleep in the uh, framed uh, con- the uh, concrete floor. Yeah, but unfortunately, then you get. Then you get the win, the win problem. What he found with Encore when he lowered his prices, you end up getting the kind of customer that you don't want walking around your property. And if you can imagine what the sleeping bag customer would be, um, <laughs> they might be they might be making uh, you know the uh, the portica share and the uh, the atriums and check-in area into giant urinals. So they probably that's probably what okay. they're looking for. Maybe not the best idea. Just throwing it out there. If if anybody wants to use that royalty-free, feel free. (laughs) All right, Fontainebleau. You know, I you don't. We're not holding our breath uh, in terms of that. I think we had a wager a while ago as far as when it was going to open, and and, uh, I still think it's quite a ways off. Um, But uh, let's cycle back to talk about promotional programs here because there's a couple of interesting trends, and one program in particular. Um, the Prima program at MGM Grand is something that they started doing recently, and in a, in a nutshell, uh, basically you commit to spending $500, and this is above your room cost, uh, at the hotel. So basically you check in, and they they take 500 bucks and they put it as a room credit, as a credit on your room. And you're then encouraged to use it to you know, restaurants and show tickets and that sort of thing. But in return for basically promising to spend at least $500 – you get all kinds of extra amenities. You get certain discounts and two-for-one meals in some places and drinks and all kinds of stuff. There's a laundry list of stuff that's included. And I you know, I thought this is pretty interesting that they would be doing something like this. Um, and when you think about it, you know, for, for some people, obviously, they'll come and they'll spend less than $500 on a vacation. But there are quite a few people that spend that much easily as part of their normal – a routine and maybe not concentrate it all at one spot, but if you're given a bunch of incentives in return, I think this is a very interesting program. Um, you know, I can't remember anybody else doing something exactly like this, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. 
I'll be very interested to see if it if it catches on. I think that well, it's a it's it's a smart marketing move. What they're doing is it's a way to sort of guarantee that they're they're going to get people who aren't checking in for the lowest rate and then compounding the company's problems by walking in with their cooler and just looking at the free line exhibit and, you know, doing a bunch of free things rather than spending money. Um, by doing that, they guarantee that they're getting spending out of folks. Um, it may be discounted, but, you know, they'd rather, you know, the margins on almost all that other spending, whether it's spa, entertainment, you know, um, entertainment, they have all those seats, and if they go unused, that's that's you know that's money that's forever gone. Um, so, if they can get 500 bucks that has to be spent on you know things that um, are are very high margin, that's a brilliant move. So, I think that they're kick, they're tackling or they're um, hitting two birds with one stone, making sure that you know or, or trying to replace the sort of penny pinching kind of people who might target cheap hotel rooms and then not spend much at all eat bologna sandwiches and sprites in their room um and 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 instead get people who are committing to at least 500 bucks in ancillary spending so i think it's i think it's a very smart move yeah i mean i i, I do too i think it's really interesting and i, I admit i they might need to do a little bit better job of explaining what it is, though. I mean, I, I got the email, and uh, at first I didn't even really look at it. I just thought it was, you know, some other promotion name that they had come up with. And it wasn't until someone else mentioned that it was a little bit of a twist that I even went back and gave it a second look. So, you know, they may need to tweak their presentation a little bit to make sure it's a little bit more obvious. But um, it's very interesting. And now the other the other thing I wanted to mention was. Um, that the Grazi Club, which is the um, the slot club at Las Vegas Sands, has sort of expanded to uh, beyond just being a slot club. They're now rewarding people for dollars spent at the hotel and restaurants and shopping too. I think, which is um, you know a trend we're starting to see a little bit more of. But I know it's something that a lot of people that come to Las Vegas for things other than gambling have been waiting for a long time to see something like this spread. Uh, because there are, I know, many people that come to stay in a nice room and have some good food, and you know maybe they'll do some gambling, but that's not their primary focus. Um, you know, I, I think it's very interesting to see this sort of thing take getting more of a foothold, to see it being implemented at Las Vegas fans, and hopefully we'll see that spread as well. There is something it's interesting, Hunter, that you mentioned that because those two programs, the MGM Grand and the Grazia program at the uh, at the Las Vegas Sands properties have in common is that your spending goes through your room account. Um, you know, some folks don't di didn't typically do that, and so they really had no way to sort of keep tra tabs on. You know, they could look at the total overall macro picture and say, our restaurants are doing this, our, you know, entertainment is doing this, our food and beverages, you know, our beverage is doing this, our retail is doing, so, you know, whatever. But they couldn't look at individual customers and say, how how much do they spend in different places? With these programs, whether it's through the Grazi Club or whether it's through that Prima program that you mentioned, you end up having to spend by charging things to your room, and then you and you know the you know, discounts are applied there, freebies are applied there. But um, the great thing for the hotel is they really can sort of tell how valuable people are. You know, they know what their margins are for every single dollar that's spent, and so that they can really apply a much more accurate assessment um, on. You know, and, and they've always been able to do that on the gaming floor. Um, so this is sort of bringing more precise marketing assessments to the customer base um, in the, on, you know, on the rest of their revenue streams. And so I think, you know, another smart move. And you guys have probably seen that. You guys are regular, you know, visitors to Las Vegas. You've probably seen a lot more offers recently because I've talked to marketing people. They are doing a lot more of these things where they're offering free dining, free spa services. Mm -hmm. And the way that you do them is you charge them to your room and then they're taking, right. taken off. 
it encourages people to use their room charge as as they're you know and then settling the bill when they leave that allows the casino to sort of know what you're spending yep i definitely have seen a flood of those kinds of promotions i mean it seems to be very very common and it's much more common than even a year or two years ago. We're re- they're really emphasizing that now. And, and these two programs you mentioned are just two of the, you know, probably the best examples of how they really are trying to capture the uh, intelligence about what how valuable customers really are. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, I still think that there's a ton of – um, a ton of room for these programs to improve uh, in terms of what they offer, uh, what they cover, um, the way that people can get access to them. I mean, I, you know, there's a whole different topic, but a lot of these things don't have the greatest websites. You really should be able to get all kinds of good info on your account, and some are better than others. But there's a ton of opportunity for improvement in these programs, and it's nice to see um, some of that happening, some innovation happening, even if it's little by little. I'll definitely welcome more of it over time, um, and uh, you know it's good to see. And you and you shouldn't <laughs> underestimate the what's driving these programs. I mean, certainly everybody is scrambling to get whatever money they can and maximize revenue in a very tough time. Um, so you know that bring you know certainly times like these bring out innovation, but. You shouldn't discount the the thing that Wynn talked about when he had those you know he had folks checking in getting their rooms for 129 bucks a night, but they weren't the kind of folks who were eating at SW or Society or at any you know the buffets or any of his places. Um, you know they may they may have been you know eating at McDonald's or something. You know and 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 those customers just aren't um, you know when you when you the room is only a piece of the pie. You want to capture their gaming money, their entertainment money, their retail, all of those things. And so these new programs that you've cited really allow them to say, you know, uh, here's some guy who's not only taking advantage of a cheap room, but he doesn't spend another dime in the hotel as far as we can tell. Now, you know, you, the, in, unless people participate, you really don't know. So it's not – I doubt that they will use – these kind of programs to discriminate against, you know, allowing people to reserve at cheap rates. But what they will do is really reward the folks who've proven to be big spending or at least, you know, decent spending customers uh, across the board. And those people will get better and better, more lucrative offers. Okay. Now, I understand this whole thing with, with, with this being good marketing and whatnot, but from a tourist perspective, when I got that Prima offer, I my first thought after reading this, and I read a lot of offers, <laughs> was why would I want to give him 500 bucks of my money now? I don't know what I'm going to eat when I get there. I don't know when I'm going to want a, a drink or not. I yeah, might I mean, want I to guess... get one drink. I might not want to get two for one. I guess the argument. You know, I don't know but... when I'm going to do this. I don't know when I'm going to do that. Why and would I, I want to? And I think Chuck. I might Chuck... end up at the. You make a great point, and I think that this is targeted towards, you know, the visitor who, you know, maybe is not, um, you know, the, you know, maybe the complete novice visitor, feel, you know, will feel comfortable saying, oh, you know, I'm just taking care of it all at once, you know, taking care of it all, of it all at once. But I think more likely it's for the folks who know. You know, like you stay at MGM Grand, it's not like you're going to lack in restaurant choices. The place is full of, you know, a ton of exceptionally good restaurants. Yeah. Um, so for you know, and, and that's the one program you mentioned. Obviously, Venetian and Palazzo, you know, bring an incredible array of good F and B choices to the table as well. But I think you're right, Chuck. There are some folks who just want maximum freedom. So they're going to look for the cheapest room that they can get at a, at a kind of place, you know, the best value they can get, not necessarily cheapest, but the best value. And then, you know, it's not like you can't get a bargain anyway when you go out to eat. You go to any good restaurant in Las Vegas, they mo- almost all have price fix menus. They Some of them have two-for-one offers. So, you know, a bargain hunter does not have to choose that option. It's just a, it's just a marketing 
thing that casinos are using, hoping that they can capture information about people. The kind of people who will take advantage of that offer are the very people that the casino wants to bring back again and again. So they're not. It's not. Like, they're not like saying, "Oh, you know, everybody else is is going to get nothing." What they're saying is they're sort of throwing a lure out there and saying the kind of people who will bite on this hook are the kind of people we're going to throw hooks back to again and again. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe, Chuck, in your in your situation, they just didn't offer enough to make it worth your while. And some people will judge that differently, and, of course, that's perfectly valid. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right. Um, I've got two more things I want to talk about. First is city center condos. Um Mr. Jim Murren um, was on CNBC the other day talking about uh, City Center, and I thought a pretty interesting little 11-minute uh, video. Uh, Murren is pretty frank, uh, though I sort of question his numbers a little bit, but um, I'm sure he's got better figures than I do when it comes to his own company. Uh, in terms of condos, I count about 2,057 units, not counting the Harmon, um, since we don't know anything about when it's going to open. He says that they have 70% of those are, are under deposit. Um, so that's like 1,400 units, which is a bigger number than I would have expected. Um, maybe they're not doing quite as bad, and of course, who knows how many of those will close. But um, even deposits on 70% of the units is, is pretty good. Uh, and of course, they talked about having to reduce prices. Um, you know, they're talking about uh, a, a figure that I think falls short of what some other analysts are are, um, are hoping. I mean, I think there was that uh, Union Gaming research note that implied that they may have to slash prices by 40 or 50 percent to uh, to get some of these people to to buy. Um, but you know, maybe the city center condo thing isn't as quite as big of a disaster as I was assuming that it was. Well, I think what they're going to do is they're not only going to cut prices and maybe, you know, I think, you know, you have people sort of lever, you know, sort of uh, angling, certainly the buyers and a few lawyers are involved are saying, oh, it needs to be 50% or more. I think MGM's probably floating 30% numbers and will probably end up somewhere in the middle. Um, But I think the real significant thing is that MGM is going to work really hard to finance some of the purchases themselves. Um, and I think, you know, uh, you know, people are going to have to make a decision. People who made 20% deposits, um, by law, they, you know, they have, they can only be forced to surrender 15%. So MGM would have, would be able to keep, you know, for people who made 20% deposits, they'd be able to keep three fourths of that. If people made a 10% deposit, they'd lose the entire deposit if they aren't willing to come to a deal. MGM doesn't want that. They want these things to close. Um, and but I but I I too I really thought that Murren, um, you know, did did well. Um, he was not, um, you know, I I think in the past he's. Um, you know, probably been sort of a cocky kind of guy. Um, I felt like I remember when Wynn was open, he was, you know, saying, ah, Wynn's going to help us. We're just going to be raising our rates because Wynn is opening. And, you know, he said that Bellagio was going to stay the number one place in town. And, you know, uh, but I, I think that this, you know, this recent economic trouble has, you know, I, I like what I saw in Jim Murray there. I felt like he was, um, you know, somewhat self-deprecating he admitted how close that they were um to having some trouble before uh they were able to get that lucky uh float of their public offering and get um uh dubai world back on board um so you know i think he did a very he acquitted himself very well i think it's clear that mgm mirage um is feeling pretty good about things you know i you know the one thing that you have to wonder is he seems to think that the, that the opening of city center is going to be a dramatic enough um capacity i mean a dramatic enough demand boost to not only protect against their own cannibalization but to protect the entire market and if that's the case you know, good for MGM, good for Jim Murren. I think that there's still some skepticism about it because of the economy, but um, certainly I'm hopeful. Um, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm certainly sitting, you know, waiting to be wowed. So uh, and 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 I'm hopeful that that'll be the case. 
I would definitely encourage listeners to watch that little video clip. I'll post a link to it because it is really interesting. It, it, one of the things that struck me was that he said that if he had known that the company was going to survive this spring, he would have actually really enjoyed the intellectual <laughs> exercise because it was uh, you know, sort of an interesting set of problems. Um, and looking back on it now, I'm sure that's probably true. Uh, and he comes at it as a Wall Street guy. I mean, he was a Wall Street guy um, who came into the company. So, and it really was, you know, he really did have a number of, you know, T's to cross and I's to dot. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of folks in the industry look at MGM's ability to raise a couple billion bucks this year through a public offering as, you know, a a, a Houdini-like you know, feat of magic. Um, certainly, um, almost no other company in the world was able to raise money, but somehow MGM found that very brief window of time when there was actual money floating around, um, and they got a big chunk of it. And it was, uh, you know, thank God for MGM Mirage. Yeah, I, I thought the in, the most interesting part of that interview was when the uh, the interviewer said to him. Uh, Phil Ruffin, and he just kind of smirked <laughs> and followed it up with, "Did he get a good price?" <laughs> and, yeah. and 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 expanded upon how uh, you know Phil, what role he played in saving MGM Mirage's ass uh, at at the height of the drama. I thought that was very telling, and, and it was good to see him show such a sense of humor about it. And made me think that you know they might buy that property back at some point. You know, I would, I, and 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 I've wondered whether that was a possibility. I've seen it floated in a different, a couple different forums that he's really just a placeholder. But I have my doubts. I I remain convinced that, um, you know that 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 they might even still be willing to. Um, part with Mirage, um, and we'll see about Bellagio. I, I don't think so. Um, the way they have City Center and Monte Carlo and Bellagio linked, Bellagio linked up, but um, you know, I still feel that. And Marin is a MGM Grand guy, um, and I still feel that there is still some lingering. Um, I don't want to say jealousy or antagonism, but um, when you had the Mirage takeover by MGM Grand, um, the way it was set up was sort of a, mer a marriage of equals um, with Bobby Baldwin and John Redman given sort of equal control over the two halves of their company. Murren taking over the entire thing um, has sort of displaced that notion. I think uh, the Mirage side has sort of you know, lost its distinct identity, even though there are still very capable executives who are Mirage alum, alumni, um, going from, you know, starting at the top of Bobby Baldwin, Bill McBeth, who's running City Center, Scott Sabella, who's running Mirage, used to run Treasure Island. Um, so there are still important executives in that company for Mirage, but I have my, I'm certainly skeptical about their long-term place in the company, maybe one or two of them have one still. But, um, you know, I, I, I also wonder whether Bobby Baldwin is a long time, is going to, you know, stay with them for a long time. They don't really have too many development prospects that are going on. You know, what does Bobby do after City Center opens? So I think there's some interesting things to look at there as well. And, and I don't know how – Grand Atlantic City. I, I don't know how fair of uh, how fair this would be, and again, it's a whole other discussion. But if you look at City Center from the perspective of cost and construction, which are supposedly what Bobby Baldwin is in charge of, there have been some pretty significant problems in terms of massive cost overruns, um, massive construction problems. I mean, it, I'm not sure if I would, you know, again, it, it would require a more in-depth. Uh, discussion uh, to really be to be fair on that topic, but it's definitely not a um, instant pass in terms of how that how that is shaken out. That's true. That's true. So you know maybe we'll have that talk someday, but it'll be more it'll be interesting to see after City Center opens uh, if we see any lawsuits flying between the contractor and MGM Mirage. Definitely some uh, some issues with how that all worked out. Um, can, I, can I pose? Yeah, yeah. Can I pose a quick question to the group? Here? Shoot. Uh, Echelon, what's going to happen? 
<laughs> Continued <laughs> delay. Sleeping bag party. <laughs> I think that it's clear that they are, you know, um, uh, my research director today asked me, he said, oh, it's been about a year since they postponed. And I said, well, I think you can plan on another year with no public announcement and even longer probably unless there is some kind of a dramatic turnaround in the economy that no one anticipates. Um, it doesn't really hurt them. The cost of you know keeping it like it is is relatively small. Their stock has benefited from pulling back on that project. I think uh, you know they will be able to evaluate city center. Um, evaluate, um, you know, you know, you still have Cosmopolitan and Fontainebleau in the offing. Um, so, you know, there's really no hurry for them with Echelon. I think that, uh, you know, it's a profitable company, Echelon aside. So I think it's, it's, it would, it would stun me if there was an actual resumption of construction of Echelon within a year. And I'd be surprised if it started again within two years, because I think they're going to reimagine the whole project. Look at their partners. Morgan's Hotel Group, you know, obviously bit off more than they can chew with the hard, with the hard Rock expansion, much less, you know, building a couple boutique hotels. General Growth Properties, you know, is in bankruptcy. So, you know, it's, it's it, it would be very tough for Boyd to uh, pick up where they left off. So, you know, any kind of, you, you figure at least another year of probably redesign, refiguring out what they're going to do, if not more. So, you know, like I said, stunned if, resu if construction resumed within a year, surprised within two years. Yeah, I think I generally uh, follow that same track. I don't think it's going to be restarted anytime soon. But One more last tag onto this. The Caesars Saran Wrap Tower. Hmm. Octavius. Yeah. What? I mean, I, I don't really see <laughs> any, any reason for them to start again until the demand picks up to the point where, I mean, occupancy at Caesars is obviously not high enough for them to justify filling out the rest of those rooms. And you guys have stayed at those rooms. It's not like the Augustus, the Augustus Tower is a damn nice place. Very nice. Augustus is, I mean, to me, I stayed at, I've stayed at Augustus several times. I've stayed at Bellagio. And I know this is probably heresy, but I like, I like Augustus. Um, you know, now that's just me. I, I do like the bathrooms at Bellagio, but um you know, those Bellagio rooms, they have those giant, you know, wardrobes with the yeah. big old-fashioned TVs. and been an entire Mirage room in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I so I've, I like Augustus. So I think that, you know, when they can open Octavius, um, whenever the, it is that they can do it, um, it will be a, a really nice expansion. Of the, the, you know, they'll have three really nice towers there. Um, Forum Tower is a great tower. Augustus is a superlative tower. And, uh, you know, they, they do have a couple inferior, you know, towers there. But, you know, and it is very cobbled together. It's not some, you know, everything's the same. But, you know, Caesars has some things working for it as well. They have the fantastic shopping. They have good restaurants. They have sort of that retro, cool casino. There's some, you know, Caesars has some things working for it and, and a great location. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think Octavius probably, I think Hunter's right, I think probably at least a year. Uh, but it won't take them long to finish it when they make the decision. So, um, you know, whatever they do, it'll just be another nice uh, block of rooms that they'll have. Indeed. Uh, you know, be nice to see what they come up with. But uh, the only thing that bothers me about Caesars is how, uh, so, I mean, they try to get a, they get a premium for the Augustus Tower, but in some cases they are not clear with consumers about what kind of room they're going to get. And there's such a disparity between the different rooms and the different towers yeah. that it's a little bit of a bummer. Um, the experience is dramatically different <laughs> between the, their best room and their worst room. That's absolutely true. And, and the pricing doesn't really reflect the difference. Um, you know, back in the old days, if you stayed in a Stardust motel courtroom for nine bucks a night, it was a lot. It was, it was, it, there was a big difference between that and the fifty dollars you paid for a tower room. Caesar's Palace, you might not, you know, it might be one fifty and one ninety, but there's a much bigger difference in quality. Yeah. Yeah. 
The last thing I want to talk about is the passing of a Las Vegas legend. Uh, Frank Fertitta was the patriarch of the Station Casinos family, I'll say. Uh, he died um, complications from heart surgery, I believe. Uh, you know, his story is uh, one of those things that they could make a movie out of. I mean, it's, you know, coming from nothing, working hard his entire life and creating an empire. It's uh, inspirational and, and pretty amazing. Um, Jeff, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just real quickly giving us an idea of his importance to that industry in Las Vegas. Well, and and I was uh, very sorry to you know learn of his passing. I I met Mr. Fertitta um, once when I was uh, meeting the station executives in their old uh, corporate headquarters at Palace Station, and um, we went down for a bite to eat in their broiler restaurant, and uh, Mr. Fertitta was camped out in there with a couple friends of his, and I, I think he regularly made that sort of his uh, lunchtime location, and uh, he was very quiet, soft-spoken, but very bright and interesting person. Um, his, you know, he, uh, Frank Fertitta Jr. Um, is part of, he's one of the younger ones, but he's one of that, he's a first you know, generation in Las Vegas guy, um, compared, comparable to um, Jackie Gone, to Sam Boyd, um, younger than those guys, though, um, but um, um, very innovative in his own right. I think along with the Boyds, the Fertitas um, were instrumental in creating the modern locals casinos. There's been there's been locals casinos, downtown casinos were for locals, the original showboat, but um, he and then his sons um, certainly created a uh, um, a business model. For uh, you know, sort of linking up their uh, boarding pass card that links all their properties, and having uh, you know very locals-friendly amenities, um, emphasizing food, uh, and customer service, good parking, movie theaters, bowling—the kind of things that make uh, a casino more of a community center than uh, than it is just a gambling venue. Um, and so he was he was a guy who was very innovative. I think his son. Um, you know, I'm sure his sons defer a lot of the credit to their dad, but I think you really this is a case where the sons were ever, are every bit as smart um, as their father. I mean, Frank Fertitta the third and Lorenzo have taken what their son, what their dad started, and done some great things on their own, um, similar to the way that I think Bill Boyd um, did with Boyd Gaming and Michael Gaughan did. Um, not with the same company, but in the same business as his dad. Um, so um, he was he was certainly an important Las Vegan. Um, he came, you know he started he got his start in the era when um, you know there was there was a lot of money leaving the casinos, and he was uh, you know at least uh, partially connected to that era. Um, he I think was a manager at the Fremont. Um, when the, that property was um, owned by the same folks who were uh, taking money out of the out of the Stardust, um, he the when Missouri regulators were considering station for licensure in Missouri, um, Mr. Fertitta chose to step down as station's uh, number one guy. He remained an owner of Fertitta Enterprises, which leases the property underneath. Palace Station, Texas Station, and I believe Boulder Station, back to Station Casinos. So he it wasn't the money he got wasn't based on gaming revenue anymore. But um, you know, I think it's it's fair to say that um, you know regulators were uh, you know weren't unhappy that he chose to leave the company. So you know that being said, he was definitely a very important Las Vegas, a real giver to the community. People in Las Vegas have a lot of affection for him, particularly Bishop Gorman High School, where his kids went to school. It's the uh, biggest Catholic high school in the city, and a very and he just built a brand new, or he was a big contributor to a big camp, a new campus they built on uh, over in Summerlin. Um, so, you know, I think in general, um, Frank Fertitta Jr. will be uh, remembered as, uh, you know, one of the great Las Vegas casino owners who was uh, instrumental in creating a, uh, a kind of casino, the locals casino, that really um, is unique 
in the United States. Um, you know, you have to, along with the Boyds and the Gons, but, uh, you know, a, uh, quite a significant person. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, uh, I I can't disagree with anything that you said. And yet one other thing to note is uh, the company was often rated as one of the better, one of the best places to work in the United States. And so, you know, it's it's good to see somebody uh, do well by their employees too uh, when they're uh, running an enterprise like that. So, now that that all would have happened, at, you know, sure. um, after long he after he left the company. Um, I don't. Th- I think back in the when when Mr. Fertitta was running the company, Mirage Resorts used to get that kind of acclaim. Um, but certainly his sons have uh, emphasized, you know, that kind of uh, treatment of their of their employees which they would say that they learned from their dad yeah so definitely sad to see him go but uh i'm sure he'll be remembered for a long time to come uh i think with that we will close it up um one uh little promotional note there is a story in this week's las vegas weekly about my iphone application vegas mate so uh, feel free to go to the weekly website and check that out, or uh, if you're in Las Vegas, pick up a copy and uh, give it a read. Um, I want to thank you guys for being here. I'm going to go around, and you can tell people where they can find you. I'm going to start with you, Chuck. VegasTripping.com. Never heard of it. Okay. <laughs> uh, Mr. Jeff Simpson, how about you? In business, Las Vegas dot com, and uh, I, I know that my my girlfriend has uh, your uh, Vegas made application. She thinks it's fantastic, and uh, just recently updated. I think a few weeks ago. So uh, nice work, Hunter. Far too kind. Far too kind. Um, you can find me at RateVegas.com. Thanks again, guys. Have a great weekend. 